And once you have it, go ahead and turn to Romans. If you are new to our church family, we, we just go through the Bible verse by verse, line by line, and we're going through the book of Romans right now. Today we're going to be starting Romans chapter 5. I was uh, surprisingly, <clears throat> even to myself, going through Romans at a way faster pace than I thought I would, seeing how rich it was. But we're definitely the last couple of weeks hitting those kind of really meaty sections that are worth going through slower. So we're only going to get through five verses today as well. But just to start out, I um, wanted to share something that kind of is in line with what we're going to be talking about, uh, talking about today. So Lately, over the last month or so, I, I started doing a, a new workout program. I got this app on my phone. It's called like Fit App, and it's got different workouts. And the workouts I've been doing are uh, called Metcon workouts. Does anyone know what those are? All right, somebody knows. Lindsay? Yeah, it's, 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 it's short for metabolic conditioning, but it's basically where you just mix like anaerobic or aerobic or strength and aerobic exercises like at the same time. So you might do something where you have dumbbells and not instead of just like lifting the dumbbells and like exercising a muscle, you actually do a burpee with the dumbbells and then you do like a squat with them or something. So it, it's very intense at times, downright miserable where there's suffering involved, okay? Now, the reason I'm willing to endure that suffering is because there is a benefit with it, okay? I mean, for me, at my age, the benefit is I can go eat that whole bag of Doritos and not have to feel guilty about it, okay? Because I'm no longer training to make gains. I'm training to maintain. That's what you do when you start getting in your 40s. But I can, I can eat what I want as long as I'm, I'm exercising to offset the effects of it. And today we're going to see Paul tell us that God has given us a reason to endure or persevere through the suffering or the difficulties we face in life because they too now, through our salvation, are of benefit to us, all right? A truth that can even cause us to have joy in the midst of suffering, which I think you guys would all agree is not your natural reaction when you're going through something hard is to find joy in it, right? So these are pretty important truths to understand so that you can learn to live in having joy even when you're going through something hard in life, which is a benefit of you being a child of God, amen? All right, so... In Romans 4, we finished up where Paul was basically making this case that God's plan from the very beginning, not just when Jesus came, but from the very beginning, was always for us to be justified of our sin or forgiven of our sin by his grace through faith in him and his word. And he uses some examples. He uses Abraham as an example. He uses David as an example. And he basically ends Romans 4 by saying, just like through their faith, it was counted to them as righteousness, or they were seen as right in God's eyes through their faith in God. Through our faith in Jesus and what he did on the cross, we've been counted as righteous too. We've been justified of our sin, just as if we had no sin. So that's where we ended, okay? So we're gonna pick it up in Romans 5. Let me read the first five verses that we're gonna be in, and then we'll pray and start going through them. So it says in Romans 5, verse 1, Therefore, 
since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Lord God, I just I think of this passage and how meaningful it has been to me throughout my life, just understanding and learning, not just from your word, but actually learning you teaching me it in life through practical experiences of how our, our suffering is not pointless. Lord, I think of how before you were in my life, there, there really truly seemed to be no point to hard things that we go through, but you've given us meaning for them. And you've said that because we're yours, your promise is to use them to our benefit. And because of that, we can find joy at the same time that we're going through hard things. And so, Lord, we want to learn this because we know that it, it, it's not fun. Just our, our, our natural nature is not to enjoy or look forward to or to really try to escape adversity in our lives but you've changed it in such a way that when we face those trials, that we not only don't have to go through it alone, but if we allow you to bring us through it, which you will, we'll come through it better than when we entered it. And we wanna, this is one of those things, we don't wanna just know it in our heads, we wanna be able to live that out in our lives. So may you minister to us today and teach us these things. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is a transition point in the book of Romans, okay? Up to this point, we've seen a lot about how we're all sinners. We all need to be forgiven of our sin. There's nothing we could ever do in our own power to do that. So God had to do it, and he did it in sending his son to die for us on the cross so that he could pay the the just price required of our sins. And through receiving that in faith, that free gift, we, we were forgiven. We're made right with God, right? So that's what he's kind of explained all the way up to this point. And then there's a therefore in verse five. And now what Paul is gonna do is he's gonna start talking about the benefits of being saved. So now that you've placed your faith in Jesus, now that you've been forgiven of your sin, now that you've been made right with God and you have a relationship with him, here's how that practically benefits you in your life. And he goes on to say in verse one, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the first benefit, if you're a note taker, I'm gonna give you five of these. The first benefit is that you have peace with God. Okay, so before you were saved, and you might not even have known this until you realized your need to be saved from your sin, but you were at war with God because of your sin. Sin is rebellion against God and his word. And so you were at odds against God, all right? And like I said, you might not even have known that. It's kind of like you were driving down the street and there was a cop behind you with his lights flashing and you're just oblivious to it, all right? Now, sooner or later, that cop's gonna catch up to you and you're gonna get in trouble. That's kind of where we were at with God. 
and before we were made, of our, made aware of our sin and received forgiveness through Jesus. But since the just penalty for our sins was paid for in full by Jesus at the cross, God's justice toward you was fully satisfied for all eternity, which, allows, which now allows you to be at peace with him. And since it's Jesus who won you that peace, it can, that peace with God can only come through faith in him, as verse one says, rather than by anything you do or you don't do. Remember, faith is not a work. It's, some, it's a way we receive this free gift of God. So there's nothing you could have ever done to make yourself at peace with God, but you have been made at peace with him through your faith in Jesus Christ. Paul tells us in Ephesians 2.14, for Christ himself has brought peace to us. Now, if you're a Christian, if you placed your faith in Jesus, how many of you feel at peace at all times in your life? Really? When I became a Christian, I just never had struggled with anxiousness or worry after that. No, no, we, we still feel like there's a battle going on a lot of the times. And what I would say is, even though we have a peace of God, what it doesn't say here is it doesn't say you're at peace with the devil, who we know from the Bible is a very real adversary that is coming to get you and tries to convince you to believe his lies all the time. It doesn't say that you're at peace with the world, which is under the influence of Satan and full of sin as such. And sin is the result of all the negative hard things that we are subjected to in this world that often take away our peace. It also doesn't say that we are at peace with our flesh, which until we're with God again, we're susceptible to the temptations of the enemy and the world around us because of that flesh. So because of those things, life still very much feels like a battle at times, all right? But it's no longer a battle against God but rather a battle that you are now fighting with him on your side. And it's a battle you can't lose because it's a battle that has already been won by Jesus at the cross for you. So instead of fighting for your victory, you are fighting from his victory. Paul talking about this in Romans 8, 31 through 37, where he says, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? That's an important verse to remember. Because when you're getting that voice in your head that's questioning, is God going to be good in this situation? Is he gonna come through with me? Well, if he gave you a son, why wouldn't he do that? That's, that's what it's saying to us. He goes on in verse 33, he says, who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn you? When you're condemning yourself, when you're feeling guilty about a mistake you made, you need to remember those verses. Because it's like, God doesn't condemn you. Who else is there that should be able to condemn you if God doesn't? It goes on to say, no one, for Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble 
or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death. Remember, these are the things that try to take away our peace. These are the battles we face in life. Verse 36, as the scriptures say, for your sake, we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. Verse 37, no, despite all of these things, despite all of the hard things we face in this life, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And that's not will be. It doesn't say overwhelming victory will be yours. It's in the present tense, right? Is yours. He's already won that victory for you. And again, as we talked about earlier, only God can talk about things in the present tense because he's the only one that knows the future and he's the only one that can ensure he's gonna keep what he says to you, right? And that's important for us to understand because every time I feel condemned over messing up in my relationship with God, it's typically because I think God is mad at me or he's upset with me or he's ready to punish me for my mistake. And that means I still think I am at war with him. But here's the thing. The war is over, family. Jesus won the war, and in the process, God won you. Your past, present, future sin that was the very reason for the war between you and God has been forgiven and forgotten because of what Jesus did on the cross. And you are now and forever at peace with God and that is something nothing can change so you can confidently live in that truth. And when we do live in that truth, you'll experience the peace of God, which is different than being at peace with God. The peace of God is what we're constantly trying to learn in our lives, the peace that he offers us despite all those hard things that we face. Amen? Amen. But you got to know that you're at peace with God first before you can even learn to live in that peace of God. All right, going on to verse two. It says, through him, we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So the second benefit of our salvation, Paul tells us about, is that you have access to God. Okay, first, you're at peace with God. Second, you have access to God. And Paul uses the word stand in verse two to describe the type of access that you have to God. That word being used in what's called the perfect tense, which carries the idea that that is where you are in the present and that is where you will always be for all eternity through your faith in Jesus Christ. I once read this story about this little boy that was standing outside Buckingham Palace, outside the gates, and he was crying because he really wanted to meet the queen. And he didn't understand that like that wasn't possible. Of course, the guards weren't gonna let him. But on that day, some, near this whole scene when it was going down, um, Prince Charles just happened to be there. He was about 20 or something years old, and he felt bad for the kid. And so he walked over to him and took him by the hand and said, Come on, son, if you want to talk to the queen, you can come with me. So too with us, we don't have to try to sneak in to meet the king of kings. We don't have to go into his presence knowing that he's a real busy guy that's in charge of the whole entire universe at any one given time. No, we can stand 
or plant ourselves in the presence of God and enjoy being with him whenever we want, for as long as we want, because the son has given you free access to him, as verse two says. And because this access to God has been received as a gift by his grace and was not and never will be dependent on you or anything you do or don't do, we never have to worry about it being taken away. Theologian Adam Clark had this to say, in this access to God or introduction to the divine presence is to be considered a lasting privilege. We are not brought to God for the purpose of an interview, but to remain with him, to be his household, and by faith to behold his face and walk in the light of his countenance. Isn't that an amazing thing? You're at peace with God, and you've been given access to God through your faith in Jesus, benefits of your salvation. Here's the third thing that's also in verse two. You are now subject to God's grace. Grace, remember I've said this before, is unearned, unearned, and, or unmerited, unearned, and undeserved favor. It not only being the way through which your salvation came to you, but it's also a description of where you currently stand with God and will always stand with God through your faith in Jesus Christ. John telling us in John 1, 16, from his abundance, speaking of Jesus, as in he has a lot of it, from his abundance, we have all received one gracious blessing after another. Through your faith in Jesus, there is a continuous stream of God's favor on your life. As soon as one instance ends, another one has already started. That's the idea of that passage. This being an important principle to grasp as well, because we can have a tendency to begin our relationship with God through grace, but then try to maintain your relationship with God through your efforts or works, all right? Thinking that somehow I gotta prove I'm worthy of his grace now. But since his favor was also given to us by him as a gift, rather than being dependent on anything you did to deserve it or earn it, there's nothing we could ever do to change this position of being on the receiving end of God's grace in your life. So on a practical standpoint, to just understand what it means when I'm truly living in the grace of God, it means that I know that he loves me and I don't have to do anything to prove that I'm worthy of his love. It means that I know that he looks at me as a friend and actually likes me. It means that I know that he's always there and I can talk to him about anything and everything whenever. It means that I don't have to try to earn anything from him. It means that I know he is always pleased with me. It means that I have every reason to thank and praise him no matter what is going on in my life. It means that I can absolutely expect him to bless me in any given situation, even what seems like a bad one. It means that he's always good in every circumstance in my life. It means that I'm never punished, but rather disciplined when I drop the ball 
and I give in to temptation and I sin. And there's a big difference between the two. You parents know this. Punishment is trying to harm someone. Discipline is from a place of love because you're trying to better someone. It means that I'm that serving him, that I know that serving him rather than myself is where I'm truly gonna be most happy and most satisfied. It means knowing that whenever he asks, whatever he asks of me, it's always my best interest to do what he says. That's what it means to understand and know that you are in the grace of God. And this leads to the fourth benefit of our salvation that Paul mentions in verse two, and that is we will share in God's glory. Now, glory is high renown or honor won by notable achievements or magnificence in great beauty. It can mean either one of those. So like, for instance, if I was to say like an Olympic athlete, after all their training and all their work, they earn a gold medal, gold medal, they win, right? So they would get glory, all right? Both in, in personal glory, just in knowing that they did this great achievement and all that hard work paid off. And then also by other people, they'd recognize them, they'd get glory. Or I could use that term to describe like something beautiful, like haystack rock. Look at haystack rock in all its glory, okay? Now, obviously, when we're talking about God, we're talking about a whole nother level of glory, okay? Because there's honor and renown bestowed upon God that we can't even fully understand here on this earth. And, and he's magnificent and beautiful, so much more than anything we can fully comprehend, okay? So when the Bible's talking about glory and using that to God, we can only understand a fraction of what it really means. But Paul tells us in verse two that you're going to share in God's glory, all right? I like Romans 5, 2 um, in the New Living Translation. It describes it a little clearer. It says, because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. You see, God has begun this work in you that he says is a good work, okay? And he says he's gonna finish that work in you of changing you for the better in Philippians 1, 6. And that work consists of making you like Jesus. Paul tells us also in Romans 8, 29, for God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son. That's the ultimate goal. Jesus, God is making you to be like Jesus your whole entire life until you're with Jesus. And the Bible tells us we will be like him, to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. Now notice, that's in the past tense, right? That's one of those terms where God's like, it's already done as far as he's concerned. Again, he can say that because he knows what will be. And he can ensure that it will happen. And because of that, you can have hope, as verse two says, or a confident expectation that this glorification process that God started in you 
will absolutely be completed. And again, this process of being changed for the better, not being dependent on us or our works, but rather being received by God's grace through faith in Jesus. So your actions can't undo this promise God has made to us, or you can't undo what God has already and is currently doing in you, which should cause you to rejoice, as verse two says, especially at those moments when you mess up, when you do fall short, when you do give in to a sin that in your mind you should have learned that lesson by now and you're discouraged at your spiritual progress or your maturity, which we all experience from time to time, right? Now, it's not bad that you wanna live a godly life. I mean, you most certainly should. If you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, which through your faith in Jesus you do, whenever you fall short of God's glory, whenever you commit a sin, it should convict you. I often like to distinguish to people because sometimes people feel condemned. Condemn is not, condemnation is not from God. That is from the enemy or your flesh. Conviction is from God. Conviction doesn't make you wanna go away from God ashamed. Conviction draws you to God because you realize you need his help, okay? So there's a difference. Conviction is a good thing. We should have that as believers. But as long as you're here on this earth in your flesh, there's gonna be times where you give into temptation and sin. And the best way to react, knowing that that in no way changes God's promise to sanctify you or make you like Jesus or glorify you, it doesn't change his mind about it in any way. When you know that, the best option it leaves you is to quickly repent, confess that sin to God, and then ask him to help you not do it anymore. Isn't that what we want our kids to do when they fall short, right? We don't just give up on them and go like, oh, you blew it, you're no longer my kid, I'm done with you, you're a waste of time. Nobody does that. We want them to come to us and be honest so that there's no weirdness between us and they're talking to us about it and we can help them so they don't make the same mistake again. That's the way God looks at us. And we can understand that God started this process in us and yes, we have a ways to go, but if you look at where he's brought you from, you've gone so far already. He's been so faithful to get you where you're at. And he already said that this good work of changing you for the better is gonna be completed. No matter how you might feel, the one actually doing the work says he's going to finish it and you will share his glory. Amen? Amen. All right. So, four things so far, right? You've been given peace with God. You have access to God. You stand in the grace of God. You're in a place of receiving his favor, and then you'll share God's glory. And now we're gonna see Paul talk about the process God uses us to get to his glory says in verse three, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So the fifth benefit, fifth and final one for today 
is that we've been given a reason to be joyful in our suffering. Our salvation gives us a reason to be joyful in the hard things we go through in life. Some of your translations use the word tribulations instead of suffering in verse three. And the Greek word there literally means crushings. And it was used to speak of the process they would use to draw olive oil out of olives. They'd take a big heavy stone and they'd use it to crush the olives and press the oil out of it, okay? And Paul, who certainly understood what it was like to go through real hardship in life, says here that not only should we rejoice in knowing that we're gonna share in God's glory, but we should also be joyful in our suffering or the trials we face in this life. And the reason he gives in verses three through five is that through your faith in Jesus, the difficulties in life, which we all face so often, now have been given a meaning and a purpose that is ultimately for your benefit. Before you were saved, you truly had no reason to be happy about going through hard things. But now you have every reason to find joy because you know God is using it for your good. That trial that feels like a heavy rock that is crushing you is actually being used to draw something of benefit out of you, just as those stones were used to crush olives to draw oil out of them. And as such, God has given you a reason to endure and persevere through the difficulties we face in life because verse three, we know, this isn't a maybe, we know there is a beneficial reason for them. And that reason starts with the fact that our suffering will produce or result in endurance or patience, as verse three says, all right? Just as an athlete has to go through some sort of physical suffering to gain endurance, the Christian has to go through suffering as well to gain spiritual endurance. We're given an example of this in Hebrews, Hebrews 12, one through three, it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion, who initiates and perfects our faith, because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross. Disregarding its shame, now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people, then you won't become weary and give up. So our life following Jesus in that verse is compared to running a race. And it says it's an endurance. Like in order to finish, you gotta have endurance, all right? And he is the ultimate example of somebody that endured suffering at the cross knowing the benefits of it or for the joy that was set before him. What, what was that? That was you. That was us. He understood that the benefit of the cross, the suffering was ultimately for you and me to be saved. And he was willing to endure knowing that. That's our example for why we wanna endure, because there is a benefit that God has told us about. You see, often when we're faced with adversity, 
our gut reaction is what? Get out of it. I don't want to go through something hard, so I'm going to take this situation into my own hands, and I'm going to do whatever I need to to get myself out of this, which doesn't always work out too well, especially in those situations where they're out of your control. You fool yourself into thinking you have some sort of control. You don't, and it doesn't help the situation, sometimes making it worse. Now, that might have been your only alternative before you were saved, but now, since you have access to God, now, since you're subject to his grace, as we discussed earlier, the much better alternative when you're faced with something hard is to go to God with it and let him lead you through it. Instead of saying, all right, that's it. I'm going to nip this thing in the butt. I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to get it done myself. No, you're going to say, hold up. All right, God, I'm going to go to you and I'm going to let you handle this. I'm going to let you lead me through it. I trust you because of what you told me you're using this for. And you can handle it way better than me because you know how this thing's going to end and you promised that's going to be for my good. So I'm just going to give it to you and let you have your way. And the result of doing that will lead to God producing character in you, as verse four goes on to say. Now, character, the idea behind character is like moral qualities of a person. And when in the context of scripture, we're talking about godly character. Remember, the end goal of our salvation is for God to make you like who? Jesus, right? And so over the course of our lives following him, he's changing your character to reflect the son through the trials you go through in life. Jesus's character being way more desirable than ours. I know that you might think you're pretty great stuff, but you're not Jesus. And that is what, if you remember, Romans 2, 4 tells us, what drew us to repentance? What drew us away from our sin to God? His kindness, right? His personality, his character. That's what drew us to God. That's what, it's, it's the most desirable character that has ever existed. And as we grow in our spiritual maturity to reflect Jesus's character, guess what also it does? It brings blessing or happiness to your life. Let me just give you an example that we, we, that's shown to us here in verse three of patience and endurance. Why is patience beneficial? Why might somebody think patience is beneficial? Anyone ever struggle with anger? Where does that come from? Impatience, right? Isn't that a bad feeling to be angry? Does anyone really like being angry? Doesn't anger or impatience often lead to us saying things and doing things that we regret that can harm us or harm other people? So wouldn't that mean that patience would be a good virtue? The patience of God, who despite every, had every opportunity and reason to smite us and destroy us because of our sin, but chose to bear with us so that we could receive forgiveness through faith in his son, that's the patience God is building in you. And by when you learn to live in that patience, he removes you from having anger. He removes you from irritation and all of the negative consequences that come with those things. That's the blessing we have in our salvation. When we get godly character, it relieves so many problems in our lives. That's why we want it. And it's important 
to make a distinguation between character and reputation because character is who you actually are. Reputation is who people think you are. And your character, your true character is often revealed by how you react when you're going through something hard, which is a benefit for you to know because the goal is to have the character of Jesus and the blessing comes with living in that character. So if for some reason you don't have that character, you want to know so that you can go to God and ask him to help you with it, amen? And Paul goes on to tell us in verse four that that character is going to produce hope in you. Now remember, biblical hope is not some wishy-washy, I hope this, I, I wish this thing will happen. No, it's an absolute certainty that something good is going to happen which we're able to have through our faith or complete trust and confidence in God and his word, as we talked about last week, right? Because remember, when our hopes in ourselves or in our own understanding, what we often see are the limitations in front of us. But those limitations only exist with us. They don't exist with God. So when our hopes in God, there are no limitations. That's why it can be sure, okay? Now, one of the reasons being that this hope, that character builds hope is because when you're willing to endure through difficulties, looking to God to help you instead of dealing with him yourself, guess what? He does help you. You see his faithfulness and that gives you hope the next time you face a trial because you remember God was faithful. He honored his word. He brought me through this. He comforted me and, and I felt his love and his compassion. And you remember that the next time and it builds hope. And as you grow in your spiritual character through your endurance, you will inevitably, when you're living in the characters God desires for you, you look to God quicker than looking to yourself. And God has given you every reason to be hopeful. I, I, it, like I said before, all I see is limitations if I'm hoping in myself, but with God, there are none. So the quicker you learn to look to him, the more hopeful you're gonna be in any given situation. And Paul goes on to say, that hope does not put us to shame in verse 15. Or the idea is your hope in God is never gonna disappoint you. If you, hopelessness comes, or shame often comes from when we put our hope in ourselves and things don't go the way we want, okay? But when we put them in God, there will be no shame. There will be no disappointment, all right? So suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope, these virtues of Christian growth and maturity build on each other as you're transformed to be like Jesus through the hard things you go through in life. Now, if I'm being honest, most of us wish that in our sleep, God could just sprinkle us with angel dust and we wake up the perfect Christian minus the adversity, right? Let's just be real, okay? But that isn't God's plan. And he has deemed it better for our well-being to grow in these desirable traits through the suffering that is unavoidable in life. And that's honestly why, one of the reasons at the very least why he has to use that because the suffering in this life, as I've pointed out before, it's not God's fault. It's our fault because it's a result of sin. So, as Jesus says, you're gonna have tribulation in this world. You can't avoid that tribulation. So God is trying to teach you how to suffer well. You're gonna go through it. I'm gonna teach you how to do it and have joy in the midst of it or rejoice 
in your suffering, as verse three says, all right? And, and, and one, one of the things I wanna point out is that does not mean that you cannot feel pain and sorrow, okay? That's important. Look at the terminology that he uses. Paul says rejoice at our sufferings, not, or he doesn't say rejoice at our sufferings. He says rejoice in our sufferings in verse three, all right? And there's a huge difference because nobody should sit there and say, oh, my whole life's falling apart. I'm just happy about that, okay? That's not what God's saying. That's unrealistic. We'd be stupid and foolish. That, like he knows we're made in his image. That's not what he's saying, all right? But what he is saying is that with me, with God, he's given you a reason to have joy even in the midst of your suffering. With God, it's possible to have both joy in him and his promises to you while at the same time experiencing pain and sorrow that's associated with difficulty. Let me give you an example, all right? So I was sick the last couple of weeks. As I said last week, Whenever I get sick, I'm dying as far as I'm concerned, okay? Some of you guys are going through real serious sickness. You got cancer or something, all right? Now, we don't find joy in the fact that we get sick. Remember, sickness is a result of being in a fallen sinful world. It wasn't God's plan. Sin brought sickness into this world. Here's where I can find joy, though. I can find joy that I'm at peace with God, even though I'm sick. Why? Because my tendency is to think somehow I'm subjected to karma Oh, I must have been bad. God's punishing me. That's not what my salvation tells me. It tells me I'm at peace with him. So the sickness isn't because God's mad at me. I can rejoice in that. Guess what? I can rejoice in the fact that I'm standing in God's presence too. What does that mean? It means I don't have to go through the sickness, whatever it is, by myself. I can talk to God about it. I can be honest and raw and he can handle it. When I'm at my low point, I can ask him to comfort me and help me. I can even ask him to heal me. And if that's his will, he'll do it. I have access to God. I don't have to go through that sickness alone. Guess what else? I'm standing in the favor of God. So even as hard as the sickness is that I'm going through, I know without a shadow of a doubt, God is going to use it for my good. All right, the sickness isn't good, but God is gonna use it for my good. All right, so I can find joy in that. Guess what else? And here's the biggest one. I can find joy that I'm gonna share in his glory because what does that mean? One day, no more sickness. One day when I'm in my glorified body with Christ, that sickness is in the rear view mirror and it's never coming back. There is an end to my pain. There is an end to my sorrow. I can find joy in those things. Amen? Amen. Amen. The hard things we go through in this life, never ever being a reflection of God's lack of love for you, but rather being an opportunity for him to show his love to you, as Paul tells us in verse five, because when we're willing to endure through suffering in our life, patiently waiting on God rather than ourselves, and we see him come through for us over and over again, even using those hard things to our benefit, we experience firsthand God's love for us. Just as with any relationship in our life, and hopefully you guys would agree with this, sometimes we can struggle with believing people really love us. Would you agree with that? Often what what determines whether what convinces us whether somebody really loves us or not is their actions, right? We want them to show us that they love us, okay? Now God knows that we 
like our other relationships, can doubt his love for us and wants us to have the security that comes from being confident of how much he cares about you. And trials give him great opportunities to practically show you just how much he loves you, not just through his promises to keep his, or his faithfulness to keep his promises to you, to work all bad things for your good and such, but also through the personal comfort that only God can give you that you often experience only in suffering. I can think of multiple instances in my life where I was at an all-time low, and it's at those instances, as Paul says in verse five, I literally felt God pour his love out on me. He didn't make it all better at that moment when I found out my son, my firstborn son, was going to have all types of health issues when he was born. But I felt him wrap his arms around me and tell me it's gonna be okay. I'm gonna be here with you and everything is going to be fine because I am here. And I can think of instance after instance where God poured out his love at my lowest point and I experienced firsthand something I couldn't experience from any tangible relationship in my life. So that's what hard things offer an opportunity for God to do, show you his love. And the way he communicates his love to us is through the Holy Spirit, as verse five says. So a lack of awareness of God's love or, or feeling like, ah, I just don't, I don't know if, you know, like doubting his love because you're going through something hard, that may be indicative of us not walking or being submitted to God in his spirit. Because when we're walking in his spirit, which if you're gonna walk with God, that's the idea of walking with his spirit, allowing his spirit to lead you and control you. That means that you're fully surrendered to God and his will for you, which can be very difficult when you're facing adversity, something you don't understand or you don't wanna go through. But when we're submitted to him, when we're walking with his spirit, the difference is that we're not gonna try to tackle that adversity ourselves, but we're gonna look to him to lead us through it. And as we endure the trial, being led by his spirit, God will be able to produce the character in you that he wants to, and we will see the fruit of the spirit in your life. That's God's character, right? Paul tells us what that is in Galatians 5, through 23. He says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And that character will produce hope, which will allow us to rejoice even in the worst of situations. Amen? So important for us to learn, family. And it's a continuous process of learning these things. We go through something hard. We remind ourselves, all right, I'm at peace with God. This isn't punishment. You know what? I'm in the presence of God. I need to talk to him about this. I need to look to him to help me. I'm in the favor of God. So I know, even though I don't see it now, I know he's gonna show his grace and he's gonna work this for my good. And you know what? One day I'm gonna be sharing the glory of God. And that means that I'm not gonna have to go through this anymore. And I know that he's using this to teach me to endure. And he's gonna use the time I'm going through this with him as I endure 
to change me for the better, to produce character in me, godly character, and that's gonna lead to my hoping in the right place in him, which will not disappoint me. Amen? You know, I was thinking of how a diamond is not much to look at when you pull it out of the ground. It's just kind of a rock, see-through rock, if you will. But it's not, it doesn't stay that way when you put it in the, the master jeweler's hand who puts it under the pressure of a grinder or a saw and they remove the, the imperfections and, and, and the things that remove from it, ultimately showing the brilliance of the sun. And in the same way, Christian, what God does through your faith in Jesus, through your salvation, you've been put in the hands of the master creator. And he knows you're fragile and he's ever so careful, but he's got to remove those imperfections so that you can be the beautiful thing he made you to be and display the brilliance of his son, Jesus. That's what God's doing for all of us a work that one day will be fully completed when we're with him. Amen? Amen. So as the worship team comes up here, I just sense that this is either a reminder for us today, because I'm sure there's some people going through hard things right now, and they feel like a rock that's crushing you. And at times you're just wondering if you can bear any more of that weight But today, God is telling you, yes, you can. I'm not punishing you. I'm there with you. I'm gonna show my favor to you. And one day, it's gonna be over. And you're gonna come out better than when it started. I will absolutely ensure that in your life. And if you're not going through something hard now, it's only a matter of time. (laughs) We will be next week or the week after that. So we need to be reminded of these things, amen? And if you're somebody that's visiting today and you don't have a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ, you know, these things I'm saying, they apply to you. I'm, I, you I, I've been there. I spent the first 20 years of my life without God in it and I very much felt hopeless when going through hard things. But even if you came in here hopeless, You can leave here with the hope I was telling you about, a sure expectation and confidence in the God that created you because that gift of salvation is offered to everyone freely. There's nothing you could have ever done to make yourself right with God and there's nothing you need to do to be forgiven of your sin other than place your faith in Jesus who died in your place, paying the price that your sin deserved on a cross so that you could be justified of it just as if you had no sin. You could be forgiven of it. And that's a gift you just, you call out to God. You repent, that's what the Bible says. Repentance means you turn away from your sin, you recognize that you're not perfect, that you have flaws, that you make mistakes, and you turn from those wanting to keep doing that towards God to help you be forgiven of it and not do it anymore And then he comes into your life. He puts his spirit inside of you. You're what the Bible calls born again because now you're not a slave to your flesh where you can't help but disobey God. And you're you're under the, the, the influence of the Holy Spirit so that when you, it, the Holy God helps you actually 
know his word and apply it in your life and bring it to remembrance when you're struggling and when you do something wrong, he convicts you and says, that's not good for you. I can help you not do that anymore. You have God literally to help you through this life right into the next life where you will spend eternity with him. Amen? That's a gift. So we're gonna have our prayer team around the room and if you need prayer, if you're struggling with something hard, come up and get prayer. Don't bear it alone. Let us lift that prayer request up to God with you. If you're somebody that wants to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, come up and get prayer. We'll lead you in a prayer. But don't miss out on this opportunity if God right now is speaking to you. Almost every sermon after, somebody says, man, that was like God knew exactly, it's like you knew exactly what was going on in my life. I don't, God does. And he cares about you that much that he wants you to hear his voice. That's your voice he's hearing, or you're hearing his voice, and he's ministering to you. He's saying, I care about you. I know what you're going through. I can help you with it. But it's on us to let him help us. And that takes humility to humble ourselves and admit we need help and to call out to him. And now's your opportunity to do that. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, we're so thankful for these truths that we were reminded of today or maybe learned for the first time. These are truths because of you and what you did. They're not dependent on us in any way. They were received as, a, as part of that gift of salvation through faith in Jesus. And because of that, we can absolutely be confident in them. And we're so thankful for that. And we're so thankful that you've, you've given us a reason to have joy even in the midst of the hardest situations because we know that we're at peace with you. We know that you're with us. We know that you're working them for our good. We know that one day those hard things are gonna end and that in the meantime, you're using them to make us more like Jesus, Lord. Lord, we wanna have that joy that, that runs concurrent with, with our suffering. And we know it can only be in you, Lord. For any of my brothers and sisters that are struggling right now, just as we all do from time to time with the hard things we go through in this life. Maybe even something that's really, really hard, Lord. Maybe now's that opportunity, just as you've done for me so many times, to just wrap your arms around them as they call out to you, maybe even cry out to you, Lord. Would you just pour your love out on them? It's enough to know that you're here with us and we're not alone, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen.